Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, January 15th of 2020. And boy, we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Uh, As you probably know by now, Google has announced another core algorithm update. They want us to call it the January 2020 core update. Not the most exciting name, but it explains clearly when it was released and uh, um, that it's a core update. And so we've got some early data. I'm going to share some of that with you in this podcast, uh, but it's really, really early. So a lot of what I'm going to say today is speculation, Um, but I'll share with you what we're seeing in uh, sites that have been seeing improvements. I have loads of tips to discuss with you as well. Um, We're going to talk about a very interesting disavow case study. Um, We're going to talk about some new features for Google Travel that I think could affect uh, travel websites that are there, Um, a really, really interesting link building idea uh, in a way that you can build links. Uh, maybe not build is the build is probably not the right word here, but a way that you can get links at scale if you can do it right. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. And uh, we have a really, really good question in the Q&A section uh, about a website that has old reciprocal links from mommy bloggers, and they're wanting to know whether they should be disavowing these. So I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. Let's get right into this because uh, there's an awful lot for me to discuss, and uh, I'm going to try to not be too wordy this uh, this week. We're getting longer and longer with podcasts, and so my goal is to share with you the stuff that you're going to find interesting and um, that hopefully you can use to help improve your, your website. Um, I thought it was hilarious today that uh, I woke up to uh, reading my tweets and... Um, saw this tweet from Danny Sullivan, not at me, I'm, I'm not involved in this at all, but Danny Sullivan was trying to help out uh, somebody who was having issues with a Google My Business issue, and so tweeted, Google My Business might be able to help, and Google My Business tweeted back, hi Danny, we've reached out to you via DM, we're happy to assist you there. Oh, I think that's hilarious, and it's one of my uh, top liked tweets so far of this year that uh, everybody else thinks it's hilarious that uh, I guess when you automate... Um is this really automated or who knows? Uh, I, I, you know, I think social media is one of those areas that you have to be super careful because if you mess up, somebody's people are going to laugh at you uh, all over the place. So hopefully you got a good laugh from that. Um, I thought it was a, a fun way to start the day. Probably not for the person on GMB support that uh, um, replied to Danny that way. But anyhow, let's move on. I know you want to hear about uh, this algorithm update. Um, so the first thing we know is that it is a core update update. And uh, we know that Google puts out updates multiple times per day, but then a few times a year they do this core update. The last update uh, that they called a core update, I believe, was in September um, of last year. So it's been a few months. We did also have the November 8th update, which I think if Google had not told us that they were, uh, you know, actually pre-announcing core update releases, we probably would have called that uh, some type of a significant update uh, by Google. This was an unannounced one, November 8th, um, and I've talked about it ad nauseum. If you want to get more on this, we have a blog post. If you just Google uh, November 8th Google update, you should see us near the the top of the results there. Um, And that, you know, we think was mostly about links. Today's update, or the update that released um, this week, I should say as I'm recording this, it's January 15th, and the update was announced January 13th. Now, 
as of January 13th, we had a couple of uh, clients that were starting to see some increases, but nothing that we would uh, get super excited about. Um, and when we see an update at this time of year, it's often really hard to know whether it's uh, traffic is improving because of the update or maybe it's a seasonal improvement. Um, and so that makes things kind of tricky because a lot of websites see improvements in traffic every January. Um, and so, uh, you know, when Google announced it on January 13th, we didn't see a whole lot going on that day. And even later in the afternoon on the 14th, uh, I wasn't completely convinced that um, very much was going on. And then once we had uh, a full day's worth of data from the 14th, it's really clear that uh, this is a significant update. So in our newsletter, this is episode number 115 of Search News You Can Use uh, that you can find online. Um, we've outlined, I've actually given you uh, some screenshots from some clients that have allowed us to share uh, anonymized data from them showing that some of our clients are seeing improvements. Um, we will have way more information in another week and also a week after that. I, I'm finding it's taking us a good two to three weeks to fully analyze what we think Google is doing with an update. Um, and so but very, very, very early thoughts. First of all, a good number of the sites that uh, are clients of ours that saw improvements are health sites. Um, these are health sites that uh, some of them saw drops with the June 3rd update. If you recall, the June 3rd update we really felt had a lot to do with Google's attempt to make it so that websites that are talking on alternative medical topics that maybe are not in line with what uh, a traditional physician would recommend could see some drops in rankings. And uh, we saw that authoritative, uh, trustworthy websites like Harvard, WebMD, Mayo Clinic, they saw big increases, whereas some of the less authoritative websites, especially if you're talking on alternative medical topics, saw massive, massive decreases. Uh, and so after that update, we had a lot of medical sites that we did reviews for. And in some cases, we came back saying, um, we're not sure whether you can recover. Uh, and we had some websites that the whole purpose of their website was to talk about alternative treatments and to talk about how um, traditional medicine has things wrong. And I do think there's a place for that. You know, I think some of the sites that we reviewed were legitimately good information. Um, and perhaps Google is tweaking things so that they are not quite so strict on that type of thing. But it should be noted that the sites uh, that were clients of ours that saw drops with June 3rd, uh, that we thought were related to scientific consensus, and then saw improvements with this January update, um, were all sites that have been working on improving how they present their medical information. Uh, it's too much for me to go into in podcast. We have an entire article we wrote on scientific consensus and what we think Google is trying to measure. Um, but And so and then we also have a white paper that uh, uh, is available. I think we're soon going to make it available for the public to buy, uh, but don't uh, I, I can't say that 100% for sure. This white paper talks about different ways that um, you can maybe separate out your content, uh, things you can add to your content to make it so that users are more likely to trust it, um, especially if you're talking on topics that are controversial. And so several of our health clients that saw really nice improvements with this most recent update uh, have been actively working on this, potentially uh, removing pages that could be controversial, if that makes sense. Um, 
and doing other things like that. And so we're going to keep an eye on that. Again, we're, you know, two days into this update. And so uh, I don't want to say 100% that um, their work on improving the, the accuracy and trustworthiness of their website is um, what caused the improvements, but it looks like that at this point. The other thing uh, that's really interesting, and I'm not going to go into great detail in podcast about this because we really need to look into it more, is that some of our sites that are seeing good improvements are lead gen sites. Uh, they're sites that gather, they provide information to people, and then when people want to be connected to a lawyer, a doctor, a moving company, um, a loan provider, things like that, uh, then they get sold as a lead to these uh, companies. And some of these websites have fantastic information, but we really feel that uh, users want extreme clarity. Um, they want to know what's happening with my data and they don't want it to be hidden in some weird disclaimer that you have to click through 10 pages to find. Uh, they really, really want to know this. So um, it seems to me that a number of the sites that have been working on improving uh, how clear they are in describing their monetization methods, especially if they're doing lead gen work, uh, are seeing improvements. So um, most of you who are listening to this probably know that with our newsletter, a, a lot of this information is free and available to everybody. And uh, over the next few weeks, if you're a paid member of the newsletter, and at this point, it's very inexpensive, it's $18 a month. Um, if you're a paid member of the newsletter, you'll get more information over the next few weeks on uh, specifically what we're seeing as we dig in more to this type of thing and the types of sites that saw improvements. Um, and so, uh, uh, so we'll have more in newsletter. This week, there's a little bit of stuff in there that I still think is it's certainly well worth the $18, um, worth a lot more than that. Uh, but, um, uh, but there will be more to come. And then probably in a few weeks from now, we will have uh, a very thorough article with most of that information available for the public um, as well. We're really refining this uh, process of uh, uh, as we get more and more sites that we can analyze and more and more, um, we have more and more impact on the SEO community. Uh, it, it's all becoming a really great thing because um, we can come up with more conclusions. And so our goal is to do as much as we can to um, help you to improve your websites and not to be providing just fluff like, hey, we think it's this, so you should do this, you know, uh, to actually have um, good data to back things up. Something that I thought was really, really interesting, though, is that we don't have very many clients, if any, that saw dramatic drops with the January update. Um, and usually when there's a significant core update, uh, you know, we see, oh, great, we have a bunch of clients that are up and we have other clients that are down. And that's not necessarily because we were wrong in our recommendations. Um, a lot of the time, people get an audit from us and uh, for whatever reason, they don't implement changes or, uh, you know, they're working on a bunch of things or maybe they're not convinced that uh, this needs to change or maybe some of the things we want to change is going to be very costly um, or just take a long time. And uh, and so it's usually common in an update for us to see, oh, yeah, yeah, some of our clients that are struggling with quality issues saw further hits. And uh, I can think of one right now, um, but not that many. So I don't really know what to to think about that. Um, but that's going to be something that's in the back of my mind as I'm analyzing this uh, onwards. So 
If you were um, affected by this update, my early advice is read the quality raters guidelines, uh, especially the parts that talk about trust. And I've said this many times, although it's been a few weeks since I've mentioned it, you can do a control F in the quality raters guidelines and search for your common uh, keywords in your niche. So for example, if you run a recipe site, um, do a control F and search for recipe and you'll see examples in the QRG of uh, specific things that Google says, look, this recipe site does this well, and this is a sign of high quality. And this recipe site does this poorly, and this is a sign of low quality. Um, and so you can find, uh, you know, specific information for your niche in the QRG. And then also we've written tons of information uh, over the years on um, what we feel Google is doing and changing in their algorithms. Uh, a good place to start is to go to mariehaines.com EAT, no hyphens, just the word EAT. And um, that will uh, sort of give you a, a jumping uh, place to start with to look at, uh, you know, the basics of EAT. And then another place to look at is mariehaines.com slash trust. Um, and this is, uh, this we wrote this in conjunction with the September, uh, I believe it was 2018 update. Uh, I could be wrong though. Um, but a number of things that uh, we felt were outlined in the quality raters guidelines that Google could be measuring as a sign of trust. So that's a good place to, uh, to go to there. Um, let's see, uh, moving on, a very important announcement from Chrome that they are soon going to start blocking website push notifications uh, by default. So Firefox already did this last year and uh, uh, it's something that um, has not been a part of Chrome. Um, let's see, Google announced at CES that Google Chrome 80 will block website push notifications. Uh, the latest version of the web browser will allow users to opt in to push blocking. Um, with some websites being automatically enrolled in the new blocking feature, preventing visitors from seeing notifications. Um, so that's really interesting. Uh, you know, and I think part of this is it's so confusing with, um, especially in Europe, all the GDPR notifications uh, that come up when you go to a website. And so people just automatically click on, yeah, yeah, fine, I'll allow your cookies. Um, and sometimes uh, people don't realize that they're actually opting into uh, browser push notifications. And uh, those can be really annoying. I think very few people actually want those for the majority of websites. Um, and this can be big news for uh, for a number of, of things. So, um, so I think that affects a lot of you. I don't really have any specific recommendations right now, but I think many of you want to know this information for sure. Um, Google's made some improvements to the rich results test. So the rich results tester uh, is a tool that you can use. You can put a page of your website into the tool and Google will tell you whether the page is eligible for rich results. Uh, rich results, an example would be if you have review stars and you've um, marked this up with schema and you want your site to appear uh, in the search results with stars next to it. Now, not everybody who marks up with rich results is actually going to see them in the search results. Uh, and if you notice, often if you're doing a search for a particular product, 
let's say I'm, I'm trying to buy a particular product and I search for that product reviews uh, and maybe the first three or four results will see, oh, this one's five star, this one's four star. Uh, and then the rest of the results, Google doesn't tend to show the review stars all of the time. Um, so sometimes that can mean that you've implemented things improperly uh, and the rich results tester can tell you that. And sometimes it can mean that uh, Google does not feel that your website is high quality enough. If you lost all of your rich results um, in conjunction with a core update, then that can be a sign that you've been affected negatively by this update and that Google feels that your website is not uh, particularly high quality. So this is something that we really, really want to pay attention to. Um, the new thing in the rich results tester is that uh, it can tell you whether per certain parts of the pages that are embedded, um, uh, like external resources that you've embedded in the page, whether that is stopping Google from displaying rich results for your website uh, for that particular page. Uh, there are some new features in Google Travel that uh, Glenn Gabe tweeted about this, and he said, uh, new year, new features for Google Travel. New tab with, quote, where to stay. I think he says where to stay. He says where to stay. I think he means stay. When to visit and what you'll pay. Um, Google's travel site now shows you the best time to travel somewhere based on weather, crowds, and prices. If you run a travel blog, I would be worried about this. I still think, um, you know, if you have a blog specific to one area, if I had a travel blog all about traveling to Ottawa and all the really cool things you could see in here uh, in this city, because this is a pretty awesome city, um, I would really be focusing on things that I can provide that Google can't just grab and give somebody the answer in the search results. So if, you know, if, if I have a whole page on what's the average temperature in Ottawa in February, um, which is actually probably not the best time to come to Ottawa, unless you're into winter stuff because the canal's open and it's awesome for skating. But, um, but if I had a, a, an entire page on that, very easily Google could just make that an answer box and or a featured snippet and nobody has to click through to my site. Um, but I would rather be focusing on content that is way too um, full of value to be just included in a brief featured snippet or answer box by Google. Uh, so that's something to um, definitely take note of if you are a travel site for sure. Let's talk about manual actions. Uh, this has been our thing for, for many, many years. Uh, most of you who know me know that uh, it was one of the very first things I did in SEO was I just tried for fun to uh, help somebody get a manual action off of their website. And I was successful and had been successful with a few websites. So I wrote a little book on uh, what steps I take to, uh, to remove manual actions. We're actually in the process of uh, updating this book. It should be out very soon. Um, so if you have a manual action, that's something that uh, you might be interested in. We have seen more requests for help with manual actions lately. Uh, there was an interesting article written by Ivan Garcia uh, talking about how many Spanish websites have been given uh, unnatural links penalties recently. Um, and so this is something that Google is still doing. I think for a year or two, they really, really reduced the number of manual actions they sent out. Um, 
one thing I can say is that most of the sites that we're dealing with right now, they have a whole bunch of different types of links that Google would consider unnatural. Um, but one of the things that we're noticing uh, a number of these sites have is uh, they've been a part of a reciprocal linking scheme. Um, for example, uh, you know, we have one client now who has relationships with hundreds of different businesses. And, uh, you know, it's basically like a guest posting um, ring that uh, you post on my site and I'll post on one of your sites and then we'll just all link to each other. And even though there are fantastic articles that are being posted, the scale of this is massive. And uh, and so we've uh, actually just filed for reconsideration for uh, for this site. Um, and we'll let you know whether uh, Google actually removes the manual access action. Um, we haven't actually seen any reciprocal links given as examples by Google. That said, though, um, we're still waiting for a lot of our reconsideration requests to come back. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but we used to say it can take up to six weeks to hear back from Google. And we're having some cases that are going on two and even three months now, uh, which is really, really challenging. So um, one thing I would recommend if you're filing for reconsideration is to try to be as thorough as you can in your first request. There's generally no harm other than time spent in filing multiple requests. If, if you want to go, okay, well, let's see if, if we remove these links, let's see if that actually works, and then it, we'll remove a few more, and then we can remove a few more. Uh, but if it takes three months every time, you know, it's going to be years before uh, you get this manual action lifted. So I would say be as thorough as possible if you are trying to get a manual action removed. Um, Google made some announcements this week that they're going to make some changes to desktop results uh, so that they look more like mobile. Um, they're talking about adding the favicons back into desktop search. And Google actually uh, linked to some documentation they have on how to create a favicon. Uh, favicon, for those who don't know, are the is the little, um, it's usually a square, but... Uh, that appears in your Chrome tabs as you have Chrome open. Uh, it's hilarious. I'm pointing at mine now, which none of you can see. <laughs> I think it's just, I talk a lot with my hands. Um, so if you don't have a favicon for your website, uh, then uh, I would recommend creating one. Um, there's really no reason not to do that. Uh, and then people will start seeing it in the search results. I wanted to talk, um, in newsletter, we have a bunch of tips, SEO tips, that uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them in podcast. Otherwise, we'll be nearing two hours for our podcast, which is way too long. I'll run out of voice power if, uh, if that happens. Uh, but I did want to speak about this one um, where Kevin Indig tweeted, if you make bold claims in your headline, readers will skim your article to test if it can keep the promise with a high bar. If it can't, they'll bounce. If your headline is boring, readers won't read it because it doesn't create an expectation. Go for number one and keep the promise. Now, this made me think of something else. And I, I'm not going to go into massive detail on this because I, I think this is a part of our paid newsletter. But it was worth me mentioning um, that... I think it's certainly possible that Google uses language processing to look at our title tags and to look at even our H tags on our page. And um, we started thinking about this when we were talking about how could Google measure whether sites are in line with scientific consensus. Uh, you know, because if Google can see, oh, okay, well, the title tag of this page says 
10 essential oils to help you sleep better. Um, and, you know, they look at that and they can say, oh, very clearly this website is promoting essential oils to help you sleep. And um, when they look at uh, the authoritative health websites that they trust, if that information is not corroborated on uh, those websites, then you might be seen as contradicting scientific consensus. Um, and I think it's way more detailed than that. And I don't, uh, you know, pretend to understand exactly how the algorithms work in this way. Um, but I think it's something we should really pay attention to. So we've got a little bit more on that and my thoughts on how Google could be using this and how we can uh, actually improve our websites in newsletter. Uh, again, episode 115, if you want to read more about that. Um, I feel like this is something I'll eventually write an article on, but we want to test it on a few client sites first. So um, that will probably come down the road. Let's talk about this interesting disavow case study. Uh, been seeing a lot of stuff lately from Rise at 7. It's a newer SEO agency that seems to be snapping up some really good talent. And um, uh, congrats, you guys. I think you're, you're doing good things. Um, Stephen Kenwright wrote an article about a disavow experiment. And I'm really happy that he published it uh, because the results are not terribly conclusive, but they actually can teach us a, a number of things. And so in this um, experiment, what they did was they had two different websites that were uh, came to them as clients. And um, neither of these websites had a manual action on them. Neither of them had been obviously affected by uh, uh, a Penguin in the past, the, which is the you know one of the main algorithms that deals with links at Google. Um, and yet they both had a, a fair number of links that Google probably would consider unnatural. And so um, in the article, Stephen goes through the process that they used to determine what to disavow. Um, and it was an interesting process because uh, I'm not a fan of using link auditing tools to tell you which links to disavow. Um, I think a lot of them can be really good at organizing your links and helping you find them. But we really recommend that you manually go through your links and decide, is this one that breaks Google's guidelines? Could this be seen as part of a link scheme? And so so when we do a link audit, it takes us, you know, depending on the site size, it can take us several weeks to actually go through uh, all of a site's links and then determine what the patterns are and, uh, and this and that. And so Stephen actually, um, you know, did a relatively quick link audit. So I think they weren't going through every single link pointing to the website. Um, the other interesting thing is they looked at just links from Search Console. Now this has been controversial. When we do link audits, should we be looking at just Search Console? Because Google, uh, John Mueller has said this a few times that Search Console will help you to find the patterns. And I think in one case, he actually said it should be all you need. Uh, and so, you know, we debated, well, should we be spending all this time going through links from Ahrefs, Majestic, Moz, sometimes Bing, um, other sources as well? And uh, we still do. Um, and so I, I think, I can't remember the number now, but I believe it was... Uh, Search Console for one of these sites had only 28% of the links that Ahrefs was reporting. Um, and so this disavow case study was done just on the Search Console links, though. Um, so they disavowed a bunch of links. And one site saw a slight improvement. One site saw a bit of a decline. And um, neither of them seemed to have something where we could go, oh, wow, the disavow was awesome and it was worth the money spent or the time spent. Uh, and so what do we conclude from that? So I've written these out in great detail because I feel like 
um, me saying this is probably going to confuse a lot of people, but I also think there's a lot of people that are interested in my thoughts here, so hopefully I can uh, explain this properly. One possibility for the sites not to see an improvement after disavowing is that it's possible that not enough of the unnatural links were disavowed. Um, if you think about it, and we've been saying this since uh, February, it's almost a year ago now, I was in New York City at a help hangout with John Mueller, and uh, John um, confirmed to us that there are link algorithms outside of Penguin that essentially look at your website's links and say, well, you know, there's a pattern here of links that seem to be helping with rankings, but we feel like they're uh, made for SEO purposes, but our Penguin algorithm can't just devalue them. Uh, and we're not really 100% sure, so let's just put less trust in all of the site's links. And in cases like that, there is a suppression. I'm, I'm positive about this. Uh, and so if you file a disavow that deals with that type of link, then you can see nice improvements. Not always. Um, and what the disavow would do is make it so that Google says, oh, wait a second, like uh, now we're seeing that the links that are pointing to this website that we want to count because they're not disavowed, they tend to be links that we trust. There's no distrust here. Um, and so uh, they can remove that. Uh, I feel like it's a filter or some type of a suppression. Um, and so it's possible that uh, there's a, a threshold that has to be met. And I, I'm not going to say numbers, but let's say the algorithms go like X percent of uh, these links are ones that are on the borderline in terms of whether we can trust them. Um, and so maybe in them disavowing just the links they found in Search Console um, using the methods that they describe in their article, uh, it's possible that they didn't do enough to get above that threshold of uh, having good natural links. Um, it's also possible that they didn't have that kind of link. Um, and this is where it gets confusing. The Penguin algorithm, in my opinion, is meant uh, to allow Google to just pay no attention to ultra spammy links. So if you have links from like really spammy directory sites, links from article sites like eZine articles, or, um, you know, websites that Google just knows you're never going to get a good valid recommendation from this website that's going to propel your rankings, then Penguin can ignore those. Um, and so if you're disavowing those types of links, and we still do disavow those, there's no harm in doing it because there's no way to know uh, whether they're actually affecting you or not. Um, if you disavow those, you could be just asking Google to ignore links that Penguin's already ignoring. And so it makes sense that we're not going to see much change here uh, in terms of rankings. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, there's a few possibilities. I've gone into even more detail in newsletter, although I do believe this is an article for just paid uh, subscribers. Um, so should we all be disavowing? I don't think so. Um, and I think, you know, if you have a history uh, of ultra spammy links, it, there's no harm in going in there and disavowing. Um, the other thing, though, that's interesting is that neither of these sites had uh, any obvious history of being affected by link-related updates. So if you're looking at your um, Google Analytics traffic and you see a drop, uh, the latest update that we think was link-related was November 8th of 2018 or 19. Gosh, the years are going to get all confused in my head. Um, 
And then there were other ones. Uh, if you go to mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O, you'll get a list of um, all the updates that we think are link-related updates. If you're seeing a drop in Google organic traffic that lines up with one of those dates, then yes, I would say that you should be considering doing a disavow. Um, and certainly if you have a massive scale, uh, a, his- a history of years of buying links, trading content for links, uh, doing things that you would not be happy with the web spam team looking at, then I think you should uh, definitely consider uh, filing a disavow. Um, I would really encourage you to do a link by link audit though, and not rely on a tool to tell you which links to, um, to disavow. Uh, speaking of links, let's talk on the other side. Let's talk about link building. Um, this is a little bit of a controversial topic, but uh, some of you may have heard this story about Gwyneth Paltrow, and she has a new candle. Um, and the candle smells like her lady parts. We'll just leave it at that. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Let's just say it's a topic that um, got a lot of people talking. And so I just checked this morning and this page, it's apparent, apparently the product is out of stock. Nobody knows if it's actually legitimately a real product. Um, but it got a lot of people talking. And last I checked, it had, um, I want to say it's like 1600 links, um, many from very authoritative websites. And if you look at the data for uh, what keywords it's ranking for, it went from, you know, very, very little, uh, the website to like, it's really propelled their rankings. Now, some of this could be user engagement. I mean, a lot of people have been engaging with the website and perhaps this won't stick. Uh, But it's a great tip for link building, um, not to start building weird products that smell like body parts, Um, but instead to think like, what is it that could get people talking? I think one of my first episodes of Newsletter, we talked about a company that um, (laughs) said they were selling ripped jeans, but essentially like there was almost no gene. It was just all uh, an outline of jeans and and just spaces basically. Um, And it was so ludicrous that people were talking about it all over the place. So if you're in charge of link building for your company, Start thinking of crazy things that you can do. I'm sure there are legal ramifications and some of you will not be allowed to uh, produce fake products, but uh, it is something that can get links and can get good attention to, uh, to your website sometimes. Um, somebody asked John Mueller on Twitter whether no indexing your tag and search pages would affect your rankings. So let's talk about this. If you have a WordPress site um, and you've been using tag pages, you might find, like sometimes we do site reviews and people have been tagging pretty much every keyword in their posts for decades, it seems. And, uh, and then we end up with hundreds or thousands of tag pages that nobody ever lands on in search. And, uh, and so we always recommend that you no-index those. This is controversial, though, because those tag pages actually add internal links. And if you no-index pages with internal links, that could potentially cause harm. Um, so the question was, can no indexing tag or search pages on a website improve or affect the ranking of the main content pages on that website? Is this a good thing to do? So here's John's uh, uh, answer. I think that would be pretty rare, though ultimately it's up to you to decide how and with which content you want your site represented in search. Probably those tag and search pages aren't primarily what you want to rank for. 
to me, that's John saying, look, you probably don't need to have those in the index. Um, I, I think really, unless those pages are getting linked to from external sources, uh, in most cases, it doesn't make sense to have your tag, even your category pages indexed, unless um, they're awesome tag and category pages. And that's an option. You know, we talk about no indexing these pages, but let's say you have tag pages that are actually ranking for some things. Then, now this can be tricky depending on your WordPress theme, but you, in, in a lot of cases, you can modify these tag pages so they actually contain amazing content. So instead of saying like, here's all the blog posts we have on the Penguin algorithm um, or something like that, we can say, uh, oh, um, our tag page for Penguin, I'm making this up by the way, I haven't looked at, I don't even know if we have our tag pages indexed. Our tag pages uh, for Penguin are tending to rank well. So let's um, fill them out with uh, an, enough content so that it actually is useful to people other than just a list of here's our blog posts. Um, so ideally, you do not want to have the majority of your indexed pages uh, made up of this type of page that nobody would ever want to land on for search. Um, let's see here. This was also an interesting thing came from a help hangout. I, I should say, uh, we have a couple of new staff that started this week. And when you start off as a new staff member here at MHC, one of your first jobs is to transcribe Google help hangouts so that I can look at them and then pull out the, the meat, uh, to share with the rest of you. Um, and so, uh, we've fallen behind on some help hangout work because we're just so busy with client work. Uh, but the fact that we have new staff in here, um, you know, busy transcribing transcribing means I'm going to have more specific stuff from help hangouts. Until then, I want to really thank Glenn Gabe for staying on top of these and, and tweeting because uh, uh, we follow everything that you tweet, Glenn, and um, you're a very, very valuable uh, part of this industry. So thank you. Um, uh, let's see. So Glenn um, tweeted about, uh, I think what I'll do is I'll read John's response here. It was talking about link building via comments. And I mean, this is not something that we would recommend doing at all. Um, and I think what happened was somebody left a comment on an article and, uh, and then they submitted their, you know, the form says to submit a link um, whenever you fill out a comment. And then this appeared as a site-wide link because it was one of the featured comments for this website. Uh, and so the question is whether it should be disavowed because it's now coming um, from thousands of pages uh, from this website. So, um, John answers that if the comment was a legitimate comment and these kinds of comments have been left all across the web and you're interacting with the web, well, that's just a comment placed on a website and nothing more. But it's a slippery slope because often people decide that they should just go and comment on like 100,000 sites and get 100,000 links from it. So here's what John said, quote, at that point, our algorithms will probably say, well, all of the links that... Um, are links that the person placed themselves. So maybe we should just ignore those links. He goes on to say that a lot of these links within comments are no followed, or they could have the rel user generated content uh, tag, which shouldn't be taken into account when it comes to ranking, although you'll still see them in search console. And then he says, quote, just because suddenly you see a lot of links from one website doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything bad that's happening out there or that you need to disavow that website. If those are natural links, those are natural links. There's nothing to disavow about that. And I see this a lot. I see people, I think I wrote an article for Search Engine Watch in like 2014 or something like that about whether site-wide links are inherently unnatural. 
Um, and it all comes down to, uh, you know, how that initial link got created. So if you legitimately were leaving a comment on a website and it resulted in you getting, you know, 10,000 followed links from that one particular website, it's probably no different than just having one link from that website. And so um, let's say you were doing it for link building and, you know, you used your keyword as your name. <laughs> I see this all the time that people leave comments on our website and their name is cheap NFL jerseys or something like that or best casinos in Vegas or, you know, something silly like that. Um, if you're doing that and you've done it once or on a couple of websites, it's probably not going to cause a problem. But if you're doing that on, you know, hundreds or hundreds, you know, thousands of websites, the scale of your uh, link building tactic is what could tip Google off. And I know there's black hats out there going, well, how would they know? And there's other black hats out there saying, well, I get away with this all the time. Um, and I think it's just like speeding in your car. Uh, some people are going to get away with it. And if you get caught, you get a ticket. Um, and so uh, we would not recommend doing this as a tactic. But if you've left a comment on a website and it's resulted in um, a whole bunch of links pointing to your website, that's not the type of link uh, generally that you need to disavow. Um, somebody else also asked uh, if they need to disavow links from websites that don't send them any traffic. Now, I'm wondering if I could be partly responsible for this question because sometimes what we say when we're trying to determine whether to disavow a link is we'll say, look, this link has never sent you any traffic. Um, you know, maybe it's not a good one. It's not that we say, oh, we look at traffic um, numbers to determine whether a link is unnatural. Uh, it's more, let's say you have a link in an article uh, from the Wall Street Journal, and they've linked to your website uh, on one of the topics that you write on. Well, people are generally going to click on that link, um, which means it's probably a legitimate link, like it was a legitimate recommendation. If you have a link from a no-name blog that links to your website, um, and you know nobody ever visits that blog and nobody ever clicks on that link, it's probably not going to help you that much. That doesn't mean you need to disavow it. But if you have a link from 8,000 no-name blogs in a way that just doesn't seem to happen in real life um, and starts looking like you've been doing this uh, in order to build links for your website, then that's the type of link that you want to disavow. And that's the type of thing that we really feel Google is still paying attention to and disavow work can help with. A um, few more things to get through here. Pinterest Trends is now available in the U.S. Uh, Kevin Indig tweeted about this. And uh, I think it's that's a really great thing to look into. I haven't played around with using Pinterest Trends, but uh, it sounds like Google Trends basically seeing like what is trending in terms of people searching on Pinterest. Um, if you're writing content and you're trying to find uh, emerging topics to write about, it might be worthwhile playing around with this, um, not necessarily because you're going to use Pinterest, but if all of a sudden there's a spike in people searching for a particular type of craft or something, um, then, and I realize I've just pigeonholed Pinterest as a craft website. I know there's way more you can do on Pinterest, but um, let's say people are searching for this particular type of craft um, and you're uh, a website that sells craft supplies, then uh, you should be writing content on that. So, um, you know, if you're in charge of creating content, this is a, a good thing to pay attention to. Uh, let's talk a couple of local search changes. I'm just going to say these briefly, um, but Google Maps has changed their linguistics a little bit for where a business is located. Um, underneath the business name where now it says located, uh, it might say 
Your business is located in between other businesses. There was an example uh, by Colin Nielsen from Sterling Sky uh, where he tweeted this, uh, it's Newcastle Massage Therapy Center is, and then Google Maps uh, actually says, or actually I think it's the knowledge panel, says in between Walsh's Snug and the old Newcastle House Taps and Grills. Now, I feel like, I felt like this was important to mention, but I'm not sure what changes with this other than it may be that I really feel like Google's trying to move away from proximity as a ranking factor. Um, maybe I'm looking too much into this. I think it's also possible that Google's just trying to make uh, Google Maps easier to use. Because uh, often if you're trying to find a pin on Google Maps, if you're, whenever I'm at a conference in a city I don't know, and I'm using Google Maps and it's like, oh, it's, you know, one, two, three Main Street, but the, the businesses don't have numbers on them and I find it difficult. Um, so if the, if Google Maps said, oh yeah, it's between this big business and this big business, that helps me. Maybe it's just as, as simple as that. Um, the other thing that's really interesting though with Google My Business is that um, Google's now showing positive sentiment in reviews. Uh, and so Brandon Schmidt um, tweeted about this where he saw reviews for a website and underneath, so it was a four-star review, and underneath it said positive in bolded letters, responsiveness. Uh, and the next one said positive, punctuality, quality, responsiveness, value. And it seems that Google is pulling these words out of the review that that person left. Now, I think this is significant because um, we've talked before about how Google has patents to measure the sentiment of reviews online. And we, uh, if Google can measure it, they can probably use it. Uh, and so in this example, there were no negative reviews that were featured, although, I mean, it's certainly possible they, they are doing that in some cases. Um, but if Google can see that the majority of the reviews that your business is getting are negative in terms of sentiment, uh, and maybe your competitors don't have that same degree of negativity, it might be that you have trouble ranking. Um, I believe this is a component of EAT where it feeds into trustworthiness that Google is reluctant to rank businesses uh, that have reputation issues. So if you are doing local SEO and uh, monitoring reviews for your client uh, and you start noticing, um, you know, that, hey, your competitors are having positive sentiment appear, uh, but we're not, you can sometimes shape um, how your customers leave reviews. Now, I'm not going to tell a customer, like, I need you to say exactly these words, uh, but let's say you run a hotel and um, you know that like one of the best things about your hotel is how comfortable the beds are. Uh, then you can ask people, you can say, hey, can you review us on Google or on Yelp or wherever? But in this case, we're talking about Google. Um, could you maybe tell us uh, whether you enjoyed our the comfort of our beds or like here's some other ideas of things you that, you know, you could write about. There are ways you can do that. Um, and so uh, you really, really want to make it so that uh, Google is determining more positive sentiment in your reviews than negative. And then the counterside to that is if there is a lot of neg negativity in these reviews, um, then the business may have some issues to deal with. And as an SEO, that's not really our responsibility to, um, you know, make businesses uh, have better customer service. But um, it's something that you can tell them that this can impact your ability to rank in Google. Uh, and so this is a problem that probably needs to be fixed. 
All right, this was a lot of stuff in podcast. I want to end with a Q&A. Um, you can ask me a question uh, via our newsletter. Pretty much every episode has near the top a link to a form you can fill out to ask a question about your website. And as much as we can, we try to answer these on podcast because then that can help other people. So it's kind of a long question here. Uh, we are a successful parenting site. In the past... Um, we did unnatural link building with mommy blogs. We disavowed those that we know we paid for. Never, nevertheless, hundreds of mommy blogs link to us naturally and continue to do so. And our hundreds of natural links look like the unnatural links that we disavowed. So there's more to this question, but let me just stop right here. This happens a lot, and I don't have an exact answer for you, uh, but I'll tell you what we've done in the past. Um, a few years ago, I removed a penalty for uh, a very well-known e-commerce brand, and uh, their brand name was also their main keyword. And um, we had, uh, you know, they, they had paid for blog posts. Uh, it wasn't quite mommy blogs, but same sort of thing. Personal bloggers who were writing about their product and saying like, wow, this was the best uh, widget that we've ever used and um, linking back to them with a keyword. And so that actually got them a manual action. And um, we were really, really struggling to remove this manual action. And then we got a response back from Google that gave us example links. And one of them was one of these posts. Um, and we had not removed that link because the business owner felt like that mention was actually a truly natural mention. So we actually reached out to that site owner who had linked to this client and said, could you tell us honestly, like, did somebody pay you for this? Were you incentivized in any way? And she said, no, 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 we just love their products. They're fantastic. And so we wanted to recommend them. So this caused a conundrum for us because um, when we're removing penalties, we really strive to not do harm to the site that we're working with. And that type of link where a customer says, I love your product so much that I want to blog about it. Like that's the kind of link we should all be striving for. But the problem was this company um, had built hundreds of links like this that were not natural. So what we did in that case was uh, I gave the, the, my client um, the choice. Um, and my recommendation actually at that time was to tell Google in our reconsideration request, look, we've reached out to a bunch of these site owners and we actually um, provided Google with screenshots of their responses saying like, no, no, we legitimately like this website and we wanted, we wanted to link to them naturally um, and not disavow those links. Now, had we done that, I think we still would have gotten the manual action lifted. However, the client uh, said, look, we'd rather um, take a temporary dip in traffic and just start from scratch. And so anything that looked even remotely like uh, it could have been made for SEO purposes, we went ahead and got them removed or disavowed them. Um, and this site was one of my best success stories in terms of uh, once the manual action was removed, they saw a jump up of something like 50% in traffic. And then uh, then after that, this is in the days where Penguin was still a more of a penalizing algorithm. Um, when Penguin re-ran, they saw this massive jump up of like something like 200% uh, in traffic. And it was at a time where very few people uh, were seeing improvements from Penguin. And so this actually worked for us in that case to be extremely, extremely aggressive. Now, in your case, I I'm reluctant to say like get in there and disavow all those. I think we'd have to analyze it to say that for certain. Uh, but if they're keyword anchored and you can't tell... 
um, whether they're natural mentions and you've done that as a link building tactic in the past, I would err on the side of actually disavowing those. I know I'm making a lot of people cringe when I say that because if you're a link builder, uh, it, it would be very painful to um, disavow that type of link if they were earned naturally. Um, let's. I, I want to continue reading this question because there's more in here that uh, can actually help people. Uh, let's see. Um. Uh, the, the site goes on to say, but we have had EAT problems, particularly the February 2017 update. Uh, I've talked about this a lot, but February 7th, 2017 was when we really feel like Google uh, made it a, a, a huge part of their algorithms to actually measure EAT and expertise became uh, an important thing there. Um, and so uh, th the other important thing, though, that this site owner is saying is that the vast majority of links, especially in the last uh, four or five years, are completely natural. Um, and so that can be a factor too, right? I, I do believe that Google looks at, because um, John Mueller said this before, that if you got a manual action, uh, you can look at your most recent links in Search Console and see like what just recently happened that maybe tripped the scales uh, in order for Google to think that this was an unnatural linking pattern. Um, so, you know, I would not be rushing to disavow any of your recent links. I think some of those older links that uh, look very much like ones you used to have that you used to pay for, I would probably disavow those. Um, you know, again, uh, with all sorts of disclaimers because we haven't uh, looked at the site, but uh, um, when it comes to disavowing, uh, if you've been heavily involved in unnatural link building in the past, uh, then yes, I, I would be more erring on the side of uh, being aggressive than being cautious. So I think we'll end it there. This is another very long podcast episode. Um, as I mentioned, uh, uh, last week we're going to be moving soon. We've outgrown our office. Uh, this is such a funny story. We have to decide whether we want our new office. So we're currently in office number 300. Uh, we were in 404 first, and the joke was nobody could ever find us. Um, and we're in 300. We're going to move next door to, you guessed it, 301. And they want they want us to say whether we want to just keep 300 and move the nameplates on the doors or uh, move to 301. And I'm tempted to just move to 301 for the SEO joke implications. Uh, so that's probably going to be happening. Uh, I think we're moving in just a few weeks. Um, so that's an exciting time for us. Um, if you are a newsletter reader, again, uh, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. This is episode number 115. There's other things in newsletter that I didn't talk about in podcast. Tips for finding some internal link opportunities. Uh, how to tell if you're being filtered by safe search. This is a, an article that Glenn Gabe wrote. Um, there's a bug in Google Analytics demographics data and uh, recommended reading. There's some really good recommended reading this time. One thing that I haven't uh, watched yet, although I know some of my team has, is uh, Brittany Muller from Moz uh, put out a, a video on an intro to Python. Um, and that's something I really, really would love to get some of our team into is uh, using, utilizing more uh, programmatic ways to look at the data that, uh, that we currently look at. We do so much manually, which I think is a strength for us, uh, but I think we could be doing things better as well. And I, I wanted to end um, on a really positive note. Uh, I saw, I want to say it was Christy Hulse, but my apologies if this was somebody else. Somebody tweeted a little while back about 
uh, giving compliments to women. I know this seems like a very random thing for me to end with. Um, and the, uh, the thing was, um, women tend to like hearing things not like, like, hey, you look great today, or you don't look so tired today, or something like that. Somebody, um, I, and I, my, I'm sorry if I say the name wrong, Rajiv uh, on Twitter this morning, some people were talking about their favorite podcast episodes, and Rajiv said uh, that they recommend my podcast uh, because I come across as having confidence. That is one of the nicest things you can say to somebody. Uh, that really, really improved my day. Um, it, it fascinates me again that people love to listen to me talk about this thing. I love to talk about Google and what Google's doing. Uh, and just um, hearing that uh, I'm projecting confidence was a wonderful compliment. And I really, really thank you for that. And I would like to challenge all of you who made it to the end of this podcast um, to give somebody a compliment like that today. Don't compliment their appearance or, you know, that you like their clothes or something like that, but something in their personality that just shines. Uh, you know, if you can compliment people on on that type of thing, it really, really helps improve people's day. So thank you for that. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be updating you on what's happening with this Google update. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. 